This is episode number 73 of the Unfolding Words podcast, The Beauty of Living a Quiet Life. My name is Antracia Moorings, and welcome to my weekly podcast where I share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. Thank you for tuning in. This is the first week of December. Can you believe it? 2019 is winding down and it happened so fast. So I want to begin with an announcement. I will be launching a new Bible study starting the first Monday in January. It's an 11-week study on the book of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. So if you did the study with me a few years back, it is revamped. So I would love for you to join me again. And I am going to be making my way with you through the book of Genesis in its entirety. So I would love for you to join me and we're going to be breaking it up into three parts, the book of Genesis that is. So we're going to be starting with chapters 1 through 11, taking a slow walk through the book of Genesis. And what a better way to start off the new year than to start with the beginning of God's story. Genesis is where the story of scripture begins and we see all of the overarching themes of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And in order to really understand the entire Bible, you have to start with Genesis because that's where everything begins to unfold. So in this study, you'll see God's character and how he loves his people. You'll see how sin created a downward spiral. And we'll also see what God is building with creation and in his people. So it is exciting. I know people say I've read Genesis a million times, but the more you read it, the more you see. So I do hope that you'll join me. You can find the study on my website at unfoldingwords.com slash Bible studies, or you can search for Dust and Divinity on Amazon and purchase it there. So that's the first Monday in January, we'll be launching this Genesis study. I do hope that you'll join me. So today, I want to talk about a subject that has been on my heart for the past few weeks about leading a quiet life. And it seems countercultural which it is. So I want to take a closer look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And it reads, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. So in our social media driven world, it's hard to imagine how this verse could fit into our culture today and why anyone in their right minds would even want to live a quiet life. The Bible has a lot to say about quiet living, though. If you look at our culture, people are attracted to flashier subjects like how to get more followers, how to get your message heard, how to stand out or how God will make your wildest dreams come true. Aren't these all of the headlines that are splashed on magazine covers that make us pick them up? And if you look at this verse, it's really an oxymoron. In that phrase, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, Paul used two verb forms in an almost contradictory manner. So make it your ambition means to be zealous and to strive eagerly, even to consider it an honor. Whereas lead a quiet life, which is from a different verb, means to be silent, not speaking out inappropriately, remaining at rest and tranquil. And as Christians, a hallmark of our lives should be that we lead peaceful lives. 
we should not be the ones who are stirring up conflict and hostility toward others. Instead, people should be able to see that the Holy Spirit has transformed us because of the peace and the quietness that rests on our lives. Now, the goal of Paul's admonition was that believers may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, which is an instruction that he gave to Timothy and the church at Ephesus. And like I mentioned, our culture runs counter to Paul's command to live a quiet life. Worldly ambition does not equal quietness. Instead, worldly ambition calls for us to constantly be in a quest for greatness. But what Paul is saying here is that we should really be ambitious not to be ambitious. That sounds crazy, right? Like we're all conditioned and groomed to be ambitious, to seek the best and to seek success and to make a splash. But Paul is saying that's not what you're called to do as a Christian. Bible commentator David Guzik said this, The quiet life contradicts the hugely successful modern attraction to entertainment and excitement. This addiction to entertainment and excitement is damaging both spiritually and culturally. We might say that excitement and entertainment are like a religion for many people today. The religion has a God, the self. The religion has priests, celebrities. This religion has a prophet, music video channels. This religion has scriptures, tabloids, and entertainment news and information programs. This religion has places of worship, amusement parks, theaters, concert halls, sports arenas, and we could say that even television is a little chapel. The religion of excitement and entertainment seduces people into living their lives for one thing, the thrill of the moment. But these thrills are quickly over and forgotten, and all that is important is the next fun thing. This religion conditions its followers to only ask one question, is it fun? It never wants us to ask more important questions such as, is it true? Is it right? Is it good? Is it godly? We need to live the quiet life so that we can really take the time and give the attention to listen to God. When we live the quiet life, we can listen to God and get to know him better. And that's the end of his quote. So Paul paints a picture of what this quiet life looks like. So certain members of the church at Thessalonica had become a bit of fanatics. They were busybodies and they were lazy. But Paul had a four-part solution for these people. Number one, live a calm and orderly life. Number two, mind your own business. Number three, keep your hands busy with manual labor. And four, have a manly conduct that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. And none of this sounds glamorous at all, right? Like <laughs> what... Who would want to follow this? What gain are they getting out of this? But the scriptures are for us today, just as they were for those back then. So there's a lot of wisdom that Paul shares in these four principles. So Paul's directive came because there was unrest among the church at Thessalonica, which disturbed the peace of the church. And it wasn't a political unrest, but a spiritual one. And it came out of the excitement of the new Christian life that they were living. So it was believed that they were excited about the idea of Christ's immediate coming. So since Christ was coming back immediately, there was no need to work. There was no need to do anything productive because they thought he's coming back any minute now. So all of this 
kind of thinking led to disorder and it caused several to neglect their ordinary business and they ended up just living lazy lives. Also, the generosity of the members of the church who were well off was being abused, which also promoted laziness even further. But Paul was calling for them to avoid idleness and to work with their own hands. Simple principles. From this, it would appear that the members of the church of Thessalonica were mostly made up of those who were of the working class. A similar order was given in the epistle to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4 and 28, where it says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good. Study to be quiet. It's an interesting commandment for Christians, isn't it? Because today we have all kinds of training and schools and seminars and webinars that teach people how to speak. Every seminary has a public speaking class, but shouldn't we have something that teaches us how to be quiet? Like I said, this is so countercultural. Wouldn't that be something great to offer today? Dr. J. Vernon McGee is a preacher late preacher, shared this story. He said, a lady went to a tongues meeting and the leader thought she was interested in speaking in tongues. He asked her, madam, would you like to speak in tongues? And she answered, no, I would like to lose about 40 feet of the one I have now. We need to study to be quiet. This is a commandment. That's what J. Vernon McGee said. This is a commandment to study to be quiet. And this theme of a quiet life is woven all throughout the Bible. In Ecclesiastic 4 and 6, it says, One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. Second Thessalonians 3 and 12 says, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. And 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 12 First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So the Thessalonians, just like us, were to make every effort to pursue a tranquil life. But they were getting contrary teaching and they had opposing views about this whole subject. So Paul had to come on the scene and tell them that they needed to channel all of this misfit energy into something that was more advantageous for them. Christians should aim to lead a quiet life. Paul says, do everything in your power to lead a quiet life. So a hallmark of our lives should be peaceful and settled souls, not noisy, unsettled souls. Noisy souls come from having too much time on our hands. So the first thing that Paul mentions is that we should mind our own business. This doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves and don't get involved with the lives of other people because much of the New Testament is about being in community with other believers. So it's not that you disassociate yourself with everyone and refuse to get involved with anyone. God does not call us to be hermits. and That's not the spirit of this verse. Over and over, the scriptures use the term one another. We're told to love one another, be devoted to one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, instruct one another, serve one another. And the list goes on and on. So it's not that we're not involved with other people's lives. 
But while we're called to love and interact with other people, it's possible to be too involved in other people's lives. I'm sure you know someone like that. Boundaries are key. We don't want to be a busybody. Some people seem to think they have the spiritual gift of fixing what's wrong in everyone else's life and bringing light to everyone's faults. And they get too far involved in areas of people's lives where they have no business and cause more hurt than good. To these kind of people, Paul is exhorting, live quietly, mind your own business. Then he talks about the beauty of labor, of working with your own hands. According to Paul, quiet life includes working with your own hands. There's something beautiful about a man or a woman who quietly goes about their own work, earning their money that they need to live in this world and take care of themselves. Paul did this. He worked as a tent maker, even as he was called to preach the gospel. He did not neglect the tools that he had to make his own living just to go out and preach the gospel. He did them both. Paul did not feel as if regular work was beneath him. And we know that God believes the same thing. He greatly values honest work, regardless how menial or even if it's secular work. In another place in the scriptures, Paul commands the busybodies who are going around making a nuisance of themselves to work in quietness and eat their bread. So when we read these verses, we have to keep them in cultural context. So in Paul's day, which is not much different than our modern times, manual labor was regarded as below the norm, like a bit of a degrading job. It was work that was meant for slaves and free men should never stoop to this level. So mundane work where you were working with your hands was generally frowned upon by those who had a higher social status. But this should not be the case. The verse tells us to live a quiet life, work with your hands. This can be difficult at times. Life is full of things that we have to do. We have to parent, we have to work, run our businesses, and be faithful in all of these different roles and hats that we have to wear. But this doesn't mean that we can put this command by the wayside. We have to prioritize things correctly in light of God's word. So living a quiet life goes hand in hand with the second part of the verse to attend to your own business. So we live in a world where there's Facebook and Instagram and Twitter And a lot of people are putting their business out in the streets for you to comment on. And living a quiet life and attending to your own business can be hard when everyone's business is out in the street. So while social media can call us to do something contrary to what the word is calling us to do, it doesn't mean that we neglect it. We cannot get sucked into what's going on on social media. Instead, we have to make time in God's word and remember what he's called us to do. So to work with your hands is a reminder that we have to be faithful with whatever God has called us to be as Christians, whether it's a husband or a wife, parents in the workplace, at home. God wants us to work hard and not be lazy. And at the beginning of this verse, it says to make all of these things our ambition. The dictionary defines ambition as a strong desire to do or to achieve something typically requiring determination and hard work. So clearly these aren't things that come naturally to us. They don't happen without intention and purpose, but they're important because Paul urges us to make them our ambition. 
And Jesus doesn't only call us to lead a quiet life without an example. He modeled it for us while he was here on earth. The first 30 years of his life are called the silent years because Jesus lived a quiet, simple life and worked as a carpenter. He stayed in his hometown village of Nazareth rather than move to Jerusalem and make a name for himself in the big city. And isn't that what a lot of us think that we're called to do? We have a ministry. We're called. We have to make a name for ourselves. We have to get out there on social media and market ourselves, right? That's not the model that Jesus provided for us. Once Jesus' ministry began and his miracles caused him from no longer living that hidden secret life, he still refused to publicly reveal that he was Israel's Messiah. And he even warned his disciples and those he healed not to make him known. This was the messianic secret. And when he went to the cross, he fulfilled those powerful words of Isaiah who wrote, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. This is Isaiah 53 and 7. And even after his resurrection, Jesus did not make a public display of himself, but he quietly appeared to his disciples and friends. He didn't put out banners. He didn't have a marketing program in place to announce that he had come back after the resurrection. He just appeared quietly to his friends and his disciples. I love that about Jesus, this quietness about him that made him so powerful, even though he was not aiming for that. So as with Jesus, so with us. The closer we walk with him, the more desirable a quiet life should become. In the book of James, it says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is James 3 and 18. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is best produced when we live quiet, peaceful lives contrary to what society says. The lives of people who work hard, people who live responsibly, people who express humility in the way that they live and deal with others, who have no need to make a big splash and draw attention to themselves. We can afford to wait and live a quiet life and let God exalt us. We can do that. It's okay to do that. Our day will come when God appoints it. The Bible tells us, for you died and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Another thing about this teaching from Paul to the church that's very important is that everyone can do this. You don't have to be a certain type of person, have a certain type of personality or a particular set of skills. Every single one of you are called to be an example of Jesus Christ to those who don't believe. And the question is not a matter of if we do that, but it usually boils down to how we go about doing it. So make it your goal to live a peaceful life with those around you through the Holy Spirit, especially among your neighbors, those in your community, on your job. Do the work of loving your neighbors and those around you with your hands and not so much with your mouths. Don't just talk politics and service and what culture commands, but live out what Jesus is calling you to live out in your actions. Carry out a peaceful life every day, wherever you go, and you can be Jesus to those around you. That's it for this episode of Unfolding Words. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
And if you want to partner with me, you can sign up for my Patreon. A donation as small as $3 can help cover production costs and help me to continue encouraging women to discover the beauty of God's word. So again, you can join me for the start of the Genesis study in January. You can pick up the Bible study on Amazon. It's called Dust and Divinity. And I will see you back here next week. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.